Are you an enthusiastic wine drinker but sweat uncontrollably over a restaurant list from Albarino to Zweigelt? Set aside your fears, relax, and start enjoying wine without worry. Here's your host, Jameson Fink. Traveled all the way to uh, West Seattle, crossing a bridge, which I am not want to do too often, especially considering the way traffic is in Seattle, but I happily do so for my friend Cynthia Nims. I'm sitting at her house, her lovely home in West Seattle, and uh, we'll be doing some fine eating and drinking as we are wont to do. But before then, we're going to talk about oysters and oysters and wine, which is where I'll come in. And as uh, someone who's lived in Seattle for the past 10 years, there is a uh, embarrassment of riches when it comes to oysters. So I feel really lucky on this aspect. But of course, uh, let's let's share share the wealth and share the knowledge about oysters. And uh, Cynthia is the author of a upcoming book, which you can pre-order now, called Oysters, Recipes with a Taste of the Sea from the Pacific Coast that I'm excited about. And uh, you should be too, so just uh, go to your favorite place to pre-order books and, and do so. But in the meantime, this will uh, whet your appetite for uh, for shellfish and uh, wine. So Cynthia, thanks for being on the show. My first question is, uh, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have when it comes to oysters? Oh, gosh. I think one of the misconceptions probably is that, you know, for those who aren't already big fans, is that they're just awful and sort of weird and um, flabby and soft and like just not pleasant to eat. And I think that's kind of unfortunate. Um, Maybe someone's had one experience when they had an oyster and they weren't ready for it or that it wasn't a great oyster. And so they kind of just shut down and don't want to try them again. So I think um, I think that's one of the misconceptions is just that they're too adventurous for even sort of a, a mainstream eater who's not doesn't feel super adventurous. So I'd love to give people some sort of encouragement to just try an oyster. Try it cooked maybe first. Maybe that's part of the challenge too is people sort of jump in right to the raw oyster. And that's, a, you know, not the, um, it is a little more adventurous. Not everybody loves the oysters raw. Um, so a sort of a starting point can be a great pan fried oyster, um, you know, a steamed oyster, any, you know, cooked some way and sort of warm up to it. That's a great idea to start with uh, cooked because uh, I guess raw oysters can be a little, um, not disconcerting, but a little bit of a, a challenge for some people. It's a, That's like the pro level. So start, start actually, if you fry anything, it, it just helps. But um, what, what tips do you have? I think another th- intimidating thing about oysters uh, is probably shopping for them and uh, knowing what to get and what to do and what to look for. Do you have just some general tips for people when they're oyster shopping about how to uh, make sure they're getting the, the best oysters they can get? Yeah, you bet. Um, It's the same kind of advice I give with pretty much any seafood shopping, um, because a lot of these products are, you know, a little more perishable than a pork chop, let's say. Um, So you do want to be sure and buy uh, from a really reputable shop. And what I always say is to go to the shops um, where you you can see that they're selling a lot of oysters, um, places where they specialize, basically. So go to a, a specialty market, a seafood market, or a grocery store that happens to have live tanks, maybe. Or if they don't have live tanks, they at least have a really nice big mound of ice and they've got the oysters carefully laid out and it looks like they're taking care of them as opposed to sort of just like a pile of random oysters off to the side next to the, you know, tilapia fillets or something, you know. Right. Yeah. So look for a place where A, you see there's a lot of action and people are buying a lot of oysters or at least they're really well cared for. Um, 
Look for oysters. I mean, they definitely need to be um, closed. They need to be alive. Um, maybe a lot of folks don't quite understand when you're buying an oyster in the shell, it's it's alive and it needs to stay alive. If it dies in the shell before you eat it or cook it, that's not a good thing. I mean, it, it, it um, deteriorates really, really quickly. So that's an issue. Um, so the shell will be super um, tightly closed. And, you know, no sh- no big nicks, not broken shells and stuff like that. I mean, it basically looks like a fresh, pristine product that you might see on the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond that, I think uh, just buy them like the day. It's preferable to buy them the day you're going to use them. They do hold up surprisingly well for a couple or three days in the fridge. Um, I've got all sorts of tips about storing them different ways and stuff. Um, but, you know, it's a great fresh product. So I, uh, you know, usually recommend use it the day you buy them. And what are, uh, there's so many different types of oysters and uh, people, I mean, it's sort of like wine geeks where they're like, I prefer this kind. I like the ones that are brinier or smaller or bigger. Are there a couple that, uh, that are, that you are particularly fond of kind of oysters that you can share with us? Yeah, sure. I think maybe, again, maybe, maybe one of the things folks don't quite understand about oysters is when we hear, um, you know, Blue Pool or Chef's Cove or, um, you know, Totten Inlet or whatever, it sounds like those are a bunch of different species of oysters. But in fact, um, most of the oysters that we get in the, at least here in the Northwest or on the West Coast, they're Pacific oysters. It's a spe- species, specific species. Um, but they're named for often the place where it was grown. Or sometimes there's a, a fun just name that a, a oyster grower will give it, like Blue Pools, a name, not 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 a geographic name. Um, so those are actually all the same species. But what's particularly cool is that when you have those different oysters, one from South Puget Sound, one from Hood Canal, one from BC, let's say, um, up in Vancouver, uh, you will taste really different products. And it's because oysters are such a product of the place they grow, the specific phytoplankton and zooplankton that are in the water because they're filtering water all the time, and the the temperature of the water, the salinity, all these things are going to affect how it tastes. So I think that's one of the coolest things about oysters is you go to an oyster bar and you order. Um, I, I kind of I think I kind of make oyster shuckers mad when I go to an oyster bar because I don't want a dozen of one oyster. I want two each. Oh, you're one of those people. Yeah, I'm one of those people. Yeah, and they're like rolling their eyes, but they get the ticket and they get and make it work because I like that variety and I want to try them side by side. That's great. Well, I dare I say uh, it sounds like oysters have a terroir. Like you say, they reflect the place where they they live and grow. Except there's more plankton involved. Yes, there's <laughs> a lot more plankton. In fact, the term um, being used these days is marowar. Exactly. Oh, marowar. That's yeah. really cute. I yeah. like that. Isn't that nice? It's, sea, I w- like the sea and the land. Uh, yeah, marowar. Marowar rhymes with terroir. I wonder if that's been copyrighted yet. Yeah, I don't know. Or trademarked. Yeah, let's work on it. Let's yeah, get on it. Yeah, true. This, yeah. This show will, uh, by the time it comes out, we will have trademarked, uh, and maybe we could write a book about marowar, about uh, oyster and wine, terroir and marowar. Wouldn't that be fun? I'm all over it. It would be. Okay, now that I've brought up the topic of wine, uh, I'm going to pontificate a little bit. I'm going to tell you what I like in oyster wines, and then you can um, uh, you can beg to differ, or you can agree, or uh, we can have a we can have an argument about it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, I am a huge fan of... Uh, well, my favorite oyster wine is Muscadet from the Loire Valley. It's uh, from the uh, western, uh, you know, western edge of the Loire Valley, and uh, to me, it's uh, a bracing wine. I like light, fresh, crisp, really light, fresh, crisp wines. But there's something about um, uh, Muscadet that has a real affinity with um, oysters. I also love. Uh, I mean, Champagne is great. Sparkling wines are great. Really, your favorite Albarino from Spain. Uh, really, any I can go on and on, but any. 
I like dry, crisp, lighter style uh, white wines. I don't think that's too shocking or, or a huge revelation, but uh, you really just get your Sauvignon Blanc is great too. Um, also, like uh, kind of like the the miroir terroir thing. I mean, when I'm in when I'm when I'm in France eating oysters, um, <laughs> All those times. Yeah. Uh, I I do like to drink muscadet or champagne. And um, when I've been had oysters in Chile, uh, Chilean Sauvignon Blanc in uh, South Africa, I've had Sauvignon Blanc and dry Chenin Blanc works works great too. But what what are your thoughts on the oyster and wine pairing? Yeah, well, as it happens, I had the good fortune of being the judge for many years for the Pacific Coast Oyster Wine Competition. So I've had a lot of occasion over the years to sit with many, many dozens of Kumamoto's in front of me and tasting up to 20 different wines with them side by side. And um, it's kind of fascinating, that kind of exercise. There's nothing that compares an intensive side-by-side thing. And it was pretty wild to me how from one oyster, I was very, very happy with a clean, crisp, mineral, sort of citrusy maybe um, wine that made me very happy. And then the next one, I would have a sip and it had a little bit of exotic fruit or it was a little teeny bit sweet. And it was it was just, it wasn't just not nice. It was clash. It, it was surprising how quickly you could go from really pleasant to um, to something that just seemed really discordant. Uh, so I definitely prefer mineral, crisp, citrusy character. Um, but to me, it's the mineral because that really uh, seems to echo, you know, obviously the mineral character, the brininess of the of the oyster really well. Um, I'm a huge fan of Sancerre. Oh, yeah. Which I think is, you know, a pretty stellar partnership uh, now that you mention it i'm not sure i've had too many i'd love albarino but i'm not sure i've had it with oysters um all that often but I can, I can totally imagine that being a really great partner and a really good dry pinot grigio i think is, is a pretty good option too and then also when you mentioned Sancerre, which is, you know, the best Sauvignon Blanc in the world, also from the Loire Valley, um, I thought of, oh, God, what else did I think of? I just blanked on it. Uh, oh, uh, it's not from the Loire Valley, but Chablis, uh, Unoak Chablis, best Chardonnay in the world. And it comes, um, the uh, the terroir of Chablis is, uh, the, the soil is full of uh, fossil, fossilized uh oysters and, and seashells. So, oh, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a duh for uh, oysters. So that's another uh, great um, pairing. But also on the way here, I was thinking about um, non-wine pairings, and that's something that I know that you have explored too. And um, I have limited experience with that. I will mention one thing that I had that I thought was uh, stupendous with oysters and surprising was a Guinness. Guinness is incredible with oysters because um, actually though it's it's a dark you know looking beer. It actually drinks quite light and it's phenomenal with oysters. So uh, what beyond the world of wine, what what are some of your favorite matches with oysters? Sure, yeah, that was one of the fun parts of this book project because because um, I do think exactly that folks often just sort of gravitate towards wine and champagne is awesome there's nothing wrong with a good champagne in fact I think champagne I don't know if you agree with this I think you might there's like one of the most universally adapt I mean it goes with so many absolutely meals. yeah so many different flavors yeah. and types of dishes in fact when I um, was talking with beverage professional friends um, for this part of the book I interviewed a cocktail guy I mean like hardcore cocktail guy and they love oysters they drink champagne. They don't bother making cocktails or doing anything, you know, with the spirits, but they really go to champagne because it works. But um, I figured champagne is pretty obvious. I, you know, I hate to say it, but it's, you know, it's a good option that everybody knows about. Some of these white wines, they're a little um, familiar. Uh, I don't I don't think I'm making this up that a lot of folks go to vodka, too, like shots of vodka. And sure. Producers. Yeah. Yeah. So the interesting thing was I wanted to challenge that. And I love gin. You know me. I love yeah, gin. I love and gin, like, too. Gosh, 
gin must be good with oysters. So I, I really wanted to um, sort of wipe away any preconceptions and just try a bunch of stuff. So I sat down with a friend and we literally ate dozens of oysters and um, sipped pure spirits. So we weren't making martinis or old fashions. We were just having a sip of tequila, a sip of um vodka sip of bourbon whatever it might be and it was revelatory because we also just had the oyster on the half shell we didn't there was no mignonette no fried oysters um and it was so cool so the vodka funnily um was really boring i mean um, when you have a good pairing they elevate each other right um one doesn't either overwhelm the other but also if you finish it and neither of them taste all that great or it doesn't they don't like elevate each other. It seems like it's not worth it. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, vodka is just—I mean, it's—it's it's so neutral so, flavored or, or devoid of flavor. So I don't think it would really add anything to the party. Yeah. So gin, um, because of its you know botanical characters that are towards the savory, which is great. So you've got juniper, you've got herbs and um, spices and um, and citrus are often components. So gin is really quite good. So a crisp you know gin martini with hardly anything else in it and a plate of oysters would be really really awesome the one one of the surprises was tequila a really good silver um or blanco tequila was really great and it was one of those times where the tequila alone was okay you know the oyster was great but together they played off each other and the saltiness of the oyster like salt in a recipe does elevate and amplify the flavor of whatever spirit you're having um so i found there that the tequila just tasted a little bit more, more vibrant being with the oyster so that was that was fun that's awesome. Um, what? Um, let's get back to uh, oysters and cooking. What are some? Um, I mean, oysters on the half shell, like uh, oysters Rockefeller. Um, what are some of the more kind of unusual or exciting things that people that might not expect to see recipes that you have to that uh, have oysters in them? Mm-hmm. Well, I um, I have to admit, even before I started this book, I probably cooked oysters five ways because um, pan fried is awesome. You know, I could never say no to a pan fried oyster. I love them raw, I love them baked, and I love them grilled. And I had, you know, I honestly hadn't experimented all that much. So one thing I really loved about this book was playing around and steaming oysters, like just throwing them in the shell in a pot, like you'd steam mussels kind of, and um, serving them with different sauces or in different preparations. Um, I did an escabeche, so it's basically sort of a very, very simple marinated oyster with paprika and um, olive oil and a little vinegar and bay leaves that was inspired by a trip to Galicia where they do that with mussels. Mm. So I loved this uh, versatility that I found playing with them in the kitchen and um, steaming and chowders, well, or, you know, sort of stews, different things in them that are sort of in the the soup category, grilled, smoked. It was really fun to play around. I think they're more versatile than a lot of folks imagine. Yeah, that's what I was curious about, the versatility. That's really cool to hear. And by the way, uh, if you want to keep up with Cynthia, uh, check out her website. It's CynthiaNims.com, C-Y-N. I'm like, uh, I can't spell today. C-Y-N-T-H-I-A. Uh, N-I-M-S. And of course, I'm at jamisonfink.com. So uh, be sure and keep up with Cynthia there. And uh, uh, actually, when you mentioned that pairing exercise you did with spirits and um, different uh, spirits and oysters, I I did not get jealous at all because I am actually here today um, to uh, conduct a similar thing, but with crab. And it's really exciting. We're going to have a bunch of wine spirits and a bunch of crab and kind of uh, get into what pairs well with crab and uh i guess i'll ask you why are we doing that well we happen to be doing that because i am currently working on a crab book right on the heels immediately of the oyster book i started on a crab project um so it's a crab cookbook um 
that's going to have even more recipes, um, including both East Coast and West Coast crab. So I've got some blue and stone crab things in there. And um, <clears throat> again, I wanted to break out of just sort of wine pairings with, with crab dishes and look at the spirits. Now my whole mind is like blown from that last oyster experiment, and I want to just try these um, sort of varied pairings and see where the surprises are. Yeah, so along those lines, I brought a couple. I mean, my ideal, so crab, I mean, super rich, luxurious. I Well, I, I, you know, a rich champagne would be fantastic. I think a great match is a, a Chardonnay, a rich uh, or Chardonnay with a decent amount of oak to it. Uh, like a, a white burgundy, like not Chablis, like a Merceau or a, a California Chardonnay, or I mean, we're in Washington, a Washington State Chardonnay or Oregon Chardonnay, 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 Chardonnay. But uh, so I brought a couple, um, uh, not weird wines, but just what I thought would be unusual for crab. I brought um, Stony Hill is a great old school uh producer in Napa. They actually make a stunning Chardonnay, one of the best in the world, period. Uh, but I brought their Gewürztraminer, and uh, honestly, I can't remember if it's... I'm pretty sure it's quite dry, but even if it's a little bit sweet, I think it'll be interesting to try with the crab, because crab has that sweetness. And then I brought a uh, Pinot Gris for me, tiny producer in Oregon that I, uh, I I crush on called Fossil and Fawn, and they do uh, Pinot Noir, but I brought their Pinot Gris, which is interesting because when you look at the, uh, when you look at it, like you said, it looks like a rosé, but uh, Pinot Gris, when you look at the, the actual grapes, they have that kind of a uh, uh, pinkish uh, tinge to them or pinkish kind of a reddish tinge to them. So when you, um, the way you make white wine is you just take grapes and you, uh, you press them immediately and then all the juice is clear. That's why white wine is white. But if you leave the uh, juice in contact with the grape skins, it takes on the color. And when you have a grape like uh, Pinot Gris, it takes on that uh, that pinkish hue. And it has a lot more texture and richness and body. So it's sort of like, um, it's kind of like a, I mean, some people call it an orange wine. Or it's kind of like a, a, a white wine for red wine lovers. So I, I'll be really interested to see if these, uh, if these kind of unusual crab wines will, be, uh, will, will, will stand up. That sounds great. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to that, and because right after we finish this, we're going to start eating crab, uh, so buckle up. Uh, so, Cynthia, thanks for being on the show today, and uh, look for the uh, oysters recipes with a taste of the sea from the Pacific Northwest. At uh, Pre-order it, and then uh, run out to your favorite bookseller and buy a dozen copies or so. In January. In January, yeah. <laughs> thanks for being on the show. It's been really great, Jameson. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Wine Without Worry with Jameson Fink. 